Hello, and welcome to Station Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, and joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's the med this week? Hot. How's Canada? Hot and, well, almost on fire, but uh, yeah, it's smoky up here where we are. We've got a big, big, big fire, 150 hectares or something, about an hour south of us. And because, you know, we are in the the Canadian American sharing. Uh, this one started in the American border and came up over Can Canadian border, threatened the evacuation of one of our local towns. Just yay. It's that time of year. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a few raging here. Um, temperatures are, are getting close to beginning with a fall now. So that's, uh, it's a bit hot. We had a couple of coolish days, um, sort of low thirties, but now it's heating up again. So, uh, I'm not complaining. I've, I've had a swim uh, an hour ago. I'm sitting here in an air-conditioned office. Things could be a lot worse. Well, if you tell me you're sitting there in your swimming trunks, um, we might have to <laughs> stop the recording right about now. I wouldn't do that to you, Justin, or indeed to the listener. I'm very respectably dressed. Oh, this is good. I wouldn't know. We, do, we don't do this on video because we're just not that type of people. But anyway, it's all good. Old is the word you were looking for. Yeah. Yeah, nobody wants to see me without my shirt on. Ew. All right, uh, Stu, any follow-up this week? Uh, follow-up? Oh, with the, with the, the Apple Watch. Um, there's a friend visiting at the moment, and uh, he's got the Apple Watch Ultra, which I know you've been having your problems with. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's the first time I've had the ability to sort of, you know, uh, play with one, sort of try it on, have a look at it, and uh, yes, yes, I... I'm I'm quite a big wristed sort of fellow. I think I think it's going to be right up my uh, my street. So um, obviously, Apple Watcher that I am, I am not going to go and buy one in uh, August. I'm going to wait and see what comes out in September. But uh, yeah, I think one of those might be on its way to my wrist. What about you? You got anything good? Well, I've got some feedback from Lisa. Uh, we were talking last week about dehydration and mm -hmm. what's the best thing to drink. Lisa recommended. Red beer. Ever heard of it? Uh, well, I mean, red beer. Uh, there's, there's an Irish beer that's sort of red. Hmm. I had a lovely amber last night, but no, not that kind. Uh, during haying season, it's pretty common to rehydrate by drinking red beer. A bit like an American shandy, red beer is a beer cocktail made with a low alcohol session beer, usually something cheap and locally ubiquitous, um, combined with tomato juice. Tomato juice, sorry. Uh, we are talking to stew here. Or V8. Mm -hmm. Salt and a couple of our olives and ursat. Bloody Mary. Uh, it's cold, mostly water, and has salt, sugar, and minerals. On a hot day, working outside, the best thing ever. Never heard of this before, Stu. Have you? Well, well, no, hang on. I mean, first of all, Justin, we need to go through a translation mode here. So um, I'm all right until we get to a bit like an American shandy. Mm. What, pray tell, is an American shandy? An American shandy, well, I, I mean, think of it as Coors Light, um, you know, watered down Coors Light. Uh, I mean, if you can get any more watered down than that, it's, it's, it's just weak beer. Okay, because I mean, shandy to a, to a Brit is uh, beer and Sprite, mm. broadly, you know, 50-50. So, uh, a normal beer and then uh, some Sprite, making it obviously half as half the strength it was. And 
a refreshing drink. That's what we call a shandy. So it's broadly the same, yeah, I think we're saying. Yes? Yes, I think so. A watered-down beer. The idea is that you take away some of the the, uh, alcohol part and you add some other stuff to, well, give it uh, all the stuff that's going to help you feel engaged while outside. Mm -hmm. And what's a session beer? A session beer. I didn't look up the... the thing for it. no no I, I, if you don't know you don't know it's just whether it's common parlance of which i am not aware uh session beer i'm guessing usually something cheap and locally ubiquitous ubiquitous i can't say that word. ubiquitous that's it there we are words too early in the morning for me um Indeed. basically it's, it's just a cheap uh low alcohol beer hmm. um you know they have so many different kinds out here you know you start with wow a lot of the american stuff comes up and you know your budweiser your cores um yeah you don't want the uh, i was out the other day and had a craft beer and it was like 5.7 percent alcohol mm-hmm. you don't want to be cutting that down because you're still going to get a little um wobbly on that one you want something that starts in sort of a a three to four percent alcohol uh, something light okay uh, that's really not gonna hit you over the head with the hoppy stuff this is the kind of beer that i think tj drinks <laughs> almost certainly almost certainly. well i mean i have to say it sounds sounds great um and uh haying season by the way i assume that is when you you sort of make hay you, you cut down the the sort of long wheaty grassy stuff and and turn it to hail blaze hail i'll try that again hay bales I'm glad it's not just me having a problem with words this morning, Stu. Well, it's, it's agriculture. It's all a bit beyond me. I'm a city boy at heart. Mm. Do you guys do a lot of agriculture in Cyprus besides wine? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I certainly don't. But um, the uh, what can I say? The pork here is incredible. So um, there's, there must, by definition, be a lot of pig farms, but I've no idea where they are. Um, you see quite a lot of goats and sheep at the higher elevations. Um, you don't see any beef really. Um, it's, it's just way too hot for them, I think. Um, and then agriculturally, well, olives, a huge thing. Um, carobs, uh, still a big thing. Uh, grapes, as you pointed out, um, and citrus fruit. So there's a huge amount of citrus fruit, um, of all shapes and sizes. Uh, and the, the la- potatoes, yes. Cypress potatoes, famous the world over, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, they are sort of red potatoes very very tasty um french fries as you guys would call them uh, in cyprus are awesome interesting i never knew that it's a uh, sort of summer season now and we occasionally well a couple of times a week we'll have one of our neighbors who has a garden showing up and dropping off whatever they've got extra off here try some of this try some of that so I actually love summer season up here because agriculture is a big thing. Um, uh, the There's a house behind me and then next to that is part of what they call up here the agricultural land reserve, uh, which means you cannot develop on it. It is for agriculture only. So there are hectares and hectares of apple trees and uh, we've got uh, some hay fields, we've got some vineyards, um, there's a, two wineries just down the road. There's uh, uh, a uh, cidery. You know, it's it's just really very agricultural. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't buy a lot of hothouse-grown stuff in the summer. 
it's all very natural and uh you know we just got corn from across the street we got beets we've got cucumbers tomatoes fresh eggs from my neighbor that's kind of a thank you for uh trying to catch his chickens that come into my yard and put them back over the fence um it's just yeah there's so much uh, squashes are coming into season um yeah i i just love the fresh food that we have up here that's lovely very nice all right so i think we're gonna have to try some of this red beer stuff um sure i mean any beer is good but uh yeah you know, I, I got to get back into that counting alcohol thing, but I'll wait till summer's over because um, I don't want to do that now. Yeah. yeah. Ruin the whole point of summer. Hot day, cold beer. Awesome. There's my counting for you. Um, I've I've suspended all counting of that sort of thing until the, the, the nights draw in a little. Mm. What you got for a tool of the week this week, Stu? Uh, unusually for me, discipline. Um so I, I mentioned last week, you know, the MBA uh, was forcing me to look at digital marketing and make a digital marketing plan, um, which I then sort of decided I was going to actually implement. Um, and working on my own for the last few years, I've sort of lost all semblance of discipline. I never had very much of it, but um, because I kind of know what I want to do, I just get on and do it uh, rather than being very methodical. But the doing the, the sort of campaign plan uh, created sort of start point. So I've been, oh, Justin, I've been creating dashboards, know, Excel sheets and things. I'm going, right, okay, at least targets and strategies. And, and turns out all of that stuff that you would automatically insist that someone you hired did for you, it actually works if you do it too. Uh, so... <laughs> um, Yes, enjoying that and also not enjoying it because it feels much more like work. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm enjoying it, actually. What about you? Have you got a tool for this week? Oh, speaking of dashboards and all that stuff, I've got I've got a rant and a rave this oh, week. Oh, okay. Uh, so I'm going to start with my rant. The worst thing about Ben, well, let's call it a productivity nerd like me, is hurry up and wait. Um I've got some projects on the go and they're all at the point where I'm waiting for someone else. And you know what it's like having things in your task manager that you can't quite hit that click done button for because you're waiting for other people. It is, well, it's upsetting. You know, I could, I could create a new follow up with, but, um, yeah, it's, it's so frustrating to look at my task manager and, I've done everything I can, but I'm waiting for that one last piece and hurry up and wait. Um, working with other people, challenging. So that's that's sort of my rant. Um, okay. You know, I've created dashboards and everything so people could see if they look uh, at uh, where everything is and what I'm waiting for. But, uh, you know, all the dashboards in the world, unless anybody looks at them and eh, does something, uh, they're not going to make a difference. So, yeah, just one of those frustrating things I realized um, just how frustrated that makes me feel do you ever get that uh well i mean as per my previous comment i'm not doing a lot of work with other people so um claire generally speaking doesn't go in for that kind of stuff we do it on the phone you know you go do this you go do that yeah cool and and she's incredibly efficient just goes off and does it um i do have clients who slow things down for me so um 
see, part of what I do is policies and procedures. Um, and by necessity, that involves them. So, um, you know, I can say, right, well, you can have a limit of X or you can have a limit of Y. It really depends on how your business works. What do you think? What do you do now? And they'll hum and har and they'll say they'll come back to me. And then usually what happens is a month or so later, they come back to me and say, you haven't finished our policies and procedures. Mm. Uh, at which point I go a little bit Justin and say, well, as per my task manager, I'm awaiting an answer to 11 questions from you uh, as per the email of four and a half weeks ago. Would you like me to send it again? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So um, I don't get too frustrated about that, but uh, unless you've got a lot of people doing it, then it can start stacking and you find yourself sitting there twiddling your thumbs until suddenly you've got four people who want everything in the next hour, which can be a little bit frustrating. So, yes. Good to know it's not just me. <laughs> um, but I, I've, I've also got a rave. Um, so earlier, I guess at Christmas, uh, Mrs. T and I sat down and we decided we were going to do two dates per month. One of them, a dinner out on a Wednesday night, the first Wednesday of each month. And then I think it's the third weekend we do a weekend date. And one month, one of us plans one date and the other one plans the other date. And then it switches the next month. So every two months I have to come up with a dinner date. It's on the calendar. We plan it in advance. Um, you know, I, I know for the next, well, year that we have these dates. Last night was date night and uh, we had a, a fairly simple uh, evening. Uh, we planned it. We went out to a, a town about an hour away. We visited their farmer's market, uh, had, a, had a great time there. Each farmer's market around here has a slightly different vibe, different vendors. So it's pretty cool. We went to the pub, then we stopped at uh, an ice cream shop on the way home. Just a really nice night out. The reason I mention it now is Mrs. T has gone back to work. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And these date nights are so much more important when both of us are working and busy and we lose, we've lost a little bit of that connection where we sit and have lunch together, for example. It was absolutely lovely just to get out and spend an evening together with my spouse talking, no phones, no, you know, it was just, it was just really nice. And so my recommendation and my rave for everybody is put a date with your spouse on the calendar in advance, come up with the criteria and make it happen. Plan around it. It is, it's just exciting to plan it. It's exciting to execute it. And it's just fantastic to go a little bit special one time a month. So there's my, there's my rave. Excellent. Well, very good. Well done you. Yeah. It's, it's so special now that uh, our schedules are well, like normal people's again. Hmm. For sure. It's uh, making time for each other. It's important. It really is. All right, Sue, what are you writing with? Uh, what am I writing with? Oh, um, a Pelican. So the Souverain M805 Stressamon. Uh, so 805 means it's got the sort of silver furniture rather than the gold. Um, the Stressaman is a kind of sort of stripey design. Um, it's uh, it's anthracite, which I suppose is grey, really. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful pen. I've got a broad nib in it, uh, which I know would fit, 
fill you with fear. Um, and I have filled it with a really nice ink. So uh, some of the old Pilot Iroshizuku, um, the, uh, the purple one. Um, what's that called? Murusaki Shikibu. I think beautiful. Yeah, there's a there's a link in the show notes, as they say. But it just writes so nicely. It's so smooth. Um, having a nice wet ink coming out of a big broad nib uh, just makes writing so much lighter, so much easier. I, I just, right up, right up to the point where you turn the page and you smudge everything. <laughs> oh, then you're writing too fast, Justin. Um, I'm also using some really nice paper, which helps. So I'm using a Smithson notebook, which we've discussed before. Um, which is uh, well an extravagance, I think is a fair way to put it. Um, again, I've put I've put a link in the show notes, but it's that blue Smithson paper. It is very very nice. Um, all the pages are perforated because these are spiral bound refill notebooks for um, what they call a writing folder, um, and they're just gorgeous, absolutely lovely. Um, but yes, you, you you don't want to go through those too quickly because they're. They're not inexpensive. Can I recommend an extra fine Japanese nib so that you can write more on a page? <laughs> you can indeed, although, of course, I reject your recommendation. Oh, it's all good. No, oh, that looks lovely. I was just looking at it, and then I saw the price and closed that tab real quick. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's one of those uh, uh, indulgent purposes, pur purchases where you need to be in the mood, and then you can have buyers regret for a little while. What about you? What are you using this week? I'm using the same old, same old. Okay. And what I realized when I was actually thinking about answering this question, I'm not writing much at all. Mm. Um, I, over the last couple of weeks, I've tried a couple of journal entries and I haven't even finished a page. I've got a couple of paragraphs and kind of ran out of steam. I'm not sure if it's the heat, if it's a stress of business, if it's the amount of chores that I've got going, maybe it's too many beers with neighbors in the hot sun. I'm just not sure why I'm, I'm on such a drought as far as writing, hmm. even, you know, my notes are, well, they're all digital at the moment. Um, I don't know, Stu, do you, do you go through that? Any suggestions for me on what I can do to get the writing mojo back? Um, absolutely. I go through it. Um, I, I still, you know, all these years later, um, I still vacillate between day one digital sort of. Uh, journaling and fountain pen journaling. Um, I still change formats. I still, uh, there is no consistency in, in the way that I use my pens. And the reason that I've inked up the, the M805 is because it's one of my favorite nymphs. Um, the reason I've put in that, um, that purple pilot Iroshizuku is, um, it's one of my favorite inks and it kind of gets the vibe going for me again, because I just want to pull out the pen and write my name. And then from there, um, st stuff begins to happen. But yeah, I've long ago decided not to get stressed about these things. You know, the, the, the desire comes and goes and you just go, I think, nod and accept it. Mm. Well, I think the only stress comes when I actually have to report in every week and say, what are you writing with? Uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> geez, nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I think we can, you can always come in with a substance. It is, after all, your podcast, Justin. You can always come in and and say, well, I'm not writing with anything different, but I am driving a new Jeep, because I'm sure you would have bought a new Jeep or a new computer or something. Would I do anything like that, Stu? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, crazy. All right. Our topic this week, uh, grit versus quit. 
this sort of comes from the beginning of Annie Duke's recent book, Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away, which I'm reading. Well, I've read it at this point, um, but I thought there were some really good ideas that she brought up in here uh, that I thought resonated with me. And if they resonate with me, they're always a good thing to talk to my friend Stu about. Mm. And the idea of grit versus quit, I've got some notes in here. So I kind of thought we'd just go through my thoughts on this. Sure. Um, because, you know, I, grit, of course, is Angela Duckworth. It is Angela Duckworth's seminal book. It's been out for probably a decade at this point. Um, and she talks about the fact that uh, a lot of success is not so much talent, but it is sticking to do things, uh, doing the hard things to get better. Um, mm. And, you know, grit is something that I think for us in productivity circles, we've kind of looked at and said, yeah, that's how we get ahead. And the idea that, you know, perhaps you need to quit things to become grittier at other things. I've never really thought about it. To quote uh, Annie Duke, grit is good for getting you to stick to the hard things that are worthwhile, but grit also gets you to stick to the hard things that are no longer worthwhile. And that was kind of the point of the discussion that I wanted to have with Stu. Mm. Do you ever really consider this quitting as an option? And how do you, how do you approach this as a general thought? Do you have any ideas on, on this as a topic? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, first, first uh, thing to admit is I'm reading the book. I'm about a quarter of a way through, um, uh, grit versus quit. I mean, I think, her opening point is very much about how celebrated um, grit is and how um, it's, it's kind of admired. Um, you can hear it actually in employee appraisals. You know, they just keep on, you know, driving on. Conditions are tough, but they keep going, all of that sort of stuff. And there is, I think, therefore, almost a, a, an acceptance that, lots of things that are worthwhile have to be hard and have to be um, a struggle and something that you have to persevere at. And, and she, she acknowledges that that is true, as you say, but she also uh, she uses the, the climbing example, doesn't she, to talk about how quitting um, will be far less celebrated and far less glamorous, but um, it's very often the better decision. Uh, and then she goes into the, all of the, analogies around poker which you know, professional poker players tend to fold um a lot more than amateur poker players because well they they're a little more cold-eyed about the possibility of winning than than perhaps an amateur might be um do i do it yeah i mean i do it all the time because i've been um running my own business i set up lime in 2003 um so that's whew, it's 20 years now. Um, and I've had other businesses too, and I still have right now two businesses, well, maybe three, depending on how you look at it, running. Um, and all the time I'm looking at those, you know, saying, should I stay in? Should I go? Um, because, well, if it's your own business and it's your own finance, then it's your money that is either you know growing or shrinking. So um, I'm 
getting pretty good at that, I think. Um, but I acknowledge all the points that she makes about uh, the sort of in, inbuilt bias we have towards sticking to things. It's that, that word failure again, which uh, has a really negative connotation. Um, and there's plenty of work being done on the fact that, you know, failing fast is, is, is a very good way to succeed. Um, you know, keep iterating and getting stuff wrong, just do it quickly and uh, in a way be gritty about failing <laughs> so that you can get to success. So the whole thing gets a bit circular after a while. But yeah, I, I, it does, it has so far the book has spoken to me. Have you found it spoken to you? Yeah, I've actually got a couple of extra topics from later on in the book that we'll talk about in a few uh, episodes as well. Hmm. Um, this This is a general point though I wanted to kind of, uh, at least discuss because I think, you know, quit and grit are two sides of the exact same decision, which is a point that uh, Annie Duke makes. And I think it's, it's so true. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that really comes out early in the book is the idea that quite often you have to go into an idea as you talked about failing fast hmm. with a, what is what is the point where this no longer works for me? And, you know, maybe it's just that the type of person I am. I'm the kind of person you put a goal in front of me. I'm going to do my dangness to get there. Um, you know, it's just, that's, that's kind of the mentality there. The frustration that I was getting because I can't check off my task list earlier. That is me wanting to complete something because it's been put in front of me rather than just saying, you know what, it's somebody else's problem. Deal with it. Um, what I really, I, this really spoke to me as, do I ever go into a project with sort of that end goal and what is going to be successful? When is it going to be successful? When am I going to review this? And when am I going to look at it again? Because I think that has made my own life harder at points, um, sure. which is, I think, why this really resonated to me. Not necessarily work. I mean, Work is work, and like Stu, I uh, I work for other people, so my commitment is well, my paycheck every couple of weeks. Um, but I, I don't have that skin in the game, perhaps that Stu does as his own entrepreneur. Um, but I, I I do have well side projects that perhaps have gone on too long. You know, I've had blogs, I've had other podcasts, and and I've never really started those, and they just they got to a point where the decision to quit became painful. It kind of tapers off. I mean, you remember blogs of the old days, Stu. It was, you had three entries and then you had an apologetic entry for, I haven't updated it in a year. And then two years later, you had yet another apologetic entry. I'll do better. And then eventually it dies off and then somebody just quits paying for it. Um, you know, I was thinking about this and kind of looking at my own my own commitment to projects that I start and what do I, what do I come out of it with? What is my end goal? And it, it really spoke to me. Do I want to be gritty and fight for this? I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to continue writing with new blah, blah, blah. Or am I just going to say, here's where it's going to go every year, every two years, I'm going to say, did it meet these objectives? If it does great, carry on. If it doesn't, yeah, I've given myself permission to quit. Do you ever 
have any of those ideas before you start. This is what success is. This is at what point I'm going to cut my losses and not put any more effort into it. Or do you, you know, you've been successful in your career. Do you kind of double down and, and stick with things? Uh, well, a, a true consultant's answer. We do both. Um, I mean, I think there are, there's a danger in allowing yourself to sort of move the goalposts. There's a danger that um, I think most people do. I know you and I do when we're trying to justify an expenditure where we will ask a series of questions that will lead us to the desired answer. So, um, you know, there's sort of, uh, the, the way that you can sort of fool yourself. If you want to stop doing something, you will come up with five very rational questions that bring you to the point that say, yes, I should stop. And you're just confirming your own bias. Um, so I think you have to be careful with that. I mean, the, the, the I'm thinking as I, as I speak, I can think of lots of examples. So there's my book at the moment, which is, you know, frankly going nowhere. It's the draft is there. It needs editing and it's, it's fermenting. That's what we're going to say for the moment. Um, it's far too hot to be editing anything, so it's just sitting there. And I've got my my MBA to finish. Um, I've launched a new sort of digital marketing campaign for for the consultancy business. I've got other things on, and my phone has a conversation as well. There we are. Had something to say to me. Um, so I, I think I can I can justify everything, but certainly with the book, I've very frequently said, I said, should I get back into this? Should I get it done? Um, and my, my sort of feeling with that has been, uh, I, I long ago abandoned the idea that it would, that it would be financially rewarding. Um, it's, it is a project that the getting it over the line will be the reward, mm. actually getting it finished. So from that point of view, I think I, I've sort of, very much lean towards grit. It doesn't cost me money. Um, there is there's emotional overhead. There's uh, time overhead, but you know it's it's not uh, it's not costing me too much. And I'm not frightened of of putting it to one side and saying, okay, I've got to leave that for a while because I'm doing other things. Um, the example that came to me first that I that I wrote in the show note was was around um, the money transfer business where um, James and I. Uh, James and I used to work together in the past, and we we'd set up a business together in two thousand and five, and we essentially had a business plan that we'd done. Um, we we had a couple of investors, but mostly the money was ours, and we we set up a sort of Excel sheet that showed how much we could pay each other um, if everything went according to plan. Um, and we could get the business up and running. And within a few months, we halved our salaries because we realized that we were burning much faster than we were generating. Um, and there was a danger the business was going to go down. So nine years later, uh, we were, well, we uh, probably increased our salaries by a factor of, I don't know, six, seven. Um, we were taking huge bonuses. Uh, we had uh, really good dividends coming out of the shareholdings. Uh, because the business was very, very successful. And it was at that point that I sat down with James and said, I think we have to sell. Um, uh, because I, I could see what was coming. And our position within the marketplace, I won't get into the detail, but our position was going to be squeezed by technology and by the way that the world was moving. Um, and I thought I was, that was going to be quite contentious. 
and and actually it wasn't. Um, he he saw it coming too, uh, which is not unexpected. You know, you work at the coalface. We were doing fourteen-hour days. This was our our baby, so you know, we knew what the, the market was doing, um, and essentially we we sort of flied a kite or two with with parties that we knew might be interested in in buying the business from us and um sort of argued and fought our way to to a decision on on who to to sell it to uh and we we basically went to to the company and said okay you know the way the market is working uh you need to cut out the middleman and the middleman in this case is us you need to cut us out um uh, and they did <laughs> and so uh the middle of 2015 we were we handed in our office keys um you know threw away our business cards because they were no longer valid uh, we'd sold the business um within a year or two the the buyer had essentially dismantled all the work we'd done the networks we'd built uh the revenue um and sort of transferred that sort of physical business into their own digital business um which you know on paper you thought oh well that's a terrible shame well actually it wasn't i mean we were very well um compensated for our work um they were happy with the sort of strategic leap forward that the purchase gave them um and the timing had been absolutely perfect and that was because i think uh we were geniuses no um it was because we were lucky um and it was because we were going through this exercise of, of quit and grit, um, of saying, okay, um, you know, what could go wrong? The business was high flying. We were doing really well. Yet both of us knew that its its uh, its time was limited. It was it was not going to last forever. Uh, and we, we made that decision to quit. And it was really hard because we had, you know blood, sweat, and tears to build that business. We had been, um, I mean, I remember getting up at four o'clock in the morning so that we could get the first flight to Dublin so that we could find an agent who owed us uh, a company threatening amount of money. He'd not paid. So he'd been collecting money from customers, which we had then been honoring um, elsewhere in the world. And he had not banked that money with us. And uh, we were worried. I mean, this is part and parcel of the business is managing that credit risk. That's that's fine. But this guy had had gone big. So <laughs> we literally stalked the streets of Dublin and found him. Uh, and eventually we we physically escorted him into each of his banks uh, and helped him withdraw all of the money from his accounts. <laughs> and that doesn't look suspicious to the teller at all. <laughs> Two large guys coming in with this uh, little, uh, I'm assuming, wiry, sketchy guy. You know, uh, he needs to withdraw his money now and transfer it to me. Yeah, I could see it might have looked like that, Justin. But, you know, I, there's there's a degree of, you know, tact and uh, and subterfuge in the way that I work. So, uh, yeah, we took that money and, and dropped it, you know, straight into our bank account. Um, and we got away with it. But, it, you know, it was uh, it was a huge learning curve we we made lots of mistakes building that business but we by god did we work hard we worked very very hard to build that business up and and to sort of say okay we're going to let it go we're going to have no say in its future um and these guys you know may run it into the ground or they may you know just completely absorb it who knows what's going to happen it was a huge huge decision for us to make 
And it was so tempting to sort of hide our, our heads in our hands and go, look, everything's going fine. We're getting more and more agents. We're getting more efficient at managing them. We were, by that stage, we were, we had powerful networks in Norway, in Sweden, in Finland, in Denmark, the Czech Republic, the UK, Ireland. Um, so we were jumping on planes and going and eating nice food in beautiful cities. It was fantastic. It was brilliant. And it would have been great just to keep that going um, because, you know, it made me feel like a million dollars. But we had to be cold eyed. We had to say, okay, you know, um, I'm taken back to, to Annie Duke's sort of, you know, discussions of poker hands. You know, how, how likely is this hand going to become a winner and how likely is it going to become a loser? Um, because just as we built the business up, it would be quite easy for that business to, to start deteriorating, particularly as the market moved. Mm. So, um, I, I think you do have to have that, um, just to confuse things, you have to have that grit to ask yourself the difficult questions and say, is it time to get out? Or when is the time to get out? What are the indications that I should be thinking of getting? What are the things I should be looking out for? And we did that almost constantly. Um, just because of our experience of financial services moves quite fast. You, you, it's the nature of the business as I'm sure you're aware. So, um, that was, um, a time that it went really, really well. Um, when I look at, um, Nero's, I've very nearly quit Nero's, um, several times. Nero doesn't make any money. So, uh, Nero's is a lifestyle business. Um, but the, the issue that I have is I don't live in the same country. So, so it's not my lifestyle that's being financed. It finances Claire's lifestyle because she does all the, the, the hard work and all of the fulfillment and goes into the office every day. Um, and, you know, it's a nice little business. But for me, doing some of the other stuff, so like the finance, the marketing, that sort of thing, um, it doesn't pay me back. I've invested quite a lot of money into the company, um, which is coming back very slowly. Um, but that's okay because actually, it was never about making money for me. That was never why I bought Nero's. That mm -hmm. was never why I ran Nero's. So um, the times that I've looked away from it, there have been a couple of things that have made me think, okay, well, I get this benefit from it. And I get that benefit from it. And those benefits have a value to me, even if they're not, um, you know, the sort of most obvious, how much money is this providing for you every year? Um, and therefore it's worth doing. But I, every year um, before, what? Well, when the, the year end finishes, um, I have about a three week period before my Shopify, which is the platform on which the, the store operates, my Shopify annual bill comes through. And in those three weeks, I make the decision of, do I go again? So it's about, it's just over a thousand dollars, um, sort of first fee that goes for Shopify. There's more fees that come every month, but that's the, the sort of platform access or whatever level we're at. Um, and so it's at that point that I, I sit down and have a serious chat with myself. I look at the numbers, I look at the sales. Um, I have a chat to Claire, um, and you know, is she interested in doing it for another year? Because if she isn't, then I've got some major issues. Um, and, and we make that decision pretty much together um as to whether we're going and it is it is difficult um i think to to be that cold-eyed um because there's a part of me that goes oh well you know it's not making money i'm a failure <laughs> well it was never intended to make money so actually no i'm not particularly failing at it 
Um, would I like to get my money back? Of course I would. And who knows? Yeah. I, I may still do it. But um, I do that with all of my projects every year. Uh, not at the same time, but at different times, at natural breaks, whether that be the year end for the company or uh, calendar year. I still, I still, you know, see sort of late December, that, that time between Christmas and New Year. I see that as a great time to reflect and have a look at, you know, what I'm doing with my life, where I'm going, where I'm spending my time and my energy um, and think about what things I want to, to continue. And you, you do the same, I think, because you've, you know, recently you've, you've sort of turned off a project or two, haven't you? Yeah, I, I do it, but uh, I do it at the review time. One of the things that I think really came to me from reading this book was the idea of having built-in criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of what is going to be a success or a failure. Because I, I think, honestly, the the problem that I find is it's so easy in the moment to justify one approach mm. over the other. Sure. I get this benefit from this. I enjoy this. I, you know, whatever that process looks like. But I don't quite, I, I don't go into it with any sort of objective criteria. This is the pass fail. At this point, I will review it um, and I will make a, you know, that cold hearted decision that you seem to be a little bit better at. For me, I, I can convince myself until it really isn't working out. And, and at that point for me, it is probably a source of stress. It is probably um, overdue. You know, I'm, I'm mm. already on that downward curve because, you know, naturally for me, I tend to find that my, my level of interest wanes before mm-hmm. I make the call to say, no, that's, that's enough. And, and that's kind of where it real, this, this idea of thinking about quitting rather than just, you know what, I'm going to stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really my review is, is this not working for me? And at that point it's, I think far too late. I think I need to put in some way of looking at what I do and getting ahead of it so that I can head off these decisions or at least come into them with a little bit of clarity. And that's why I thought for me, it was a bit of a, an eye-opening moment when I even tackled, I think this idea came up in the very introduction of the book and it was just this idea of, oh, yeah, they're grit and quit are opposite sides of the same, the same coin. And I just kind of look at the grit part. You put a goal in front of me and I'm going to work really hard to get there and, um, quitting kind of sometimes feels like a bit of a failure for me. And it's not, it's not always, you know, it's, it is, what are you trying to get out of doing this thing? And is it still working for you? And is it bringing the the best value into your life? Uh, this book talks a lot about money, uh, which is the sure. one side of it that I, I guess is, you know, businessy focused. But uh, for me, I'm looking at this more in my personal life too. Mm-hmm. Does this, does this make sense? Uh, is this time that I'm putting into something worth the return that I get out of it? And the return that I get out of it is perhaps not financial related. Um, it is, you know, stress. It is 
uh, attention, it is time, it is all of those things. You know, uh, I was talking about uh, going for a date with my wife, putting that on the calendar. That is not about the money. It's all about the experience. And that is so worth it. There are other things, as you said, uh, another podcast, uh, a um, a blog that I had that, you know, I was paying money for. I wasn't really monetizing it. My level of entries had died off, um, you know, mm-hmm. with a wife with cancer at home. One can kind of come up with excuses for it. But the decision to say, yeah, it's no longer meeting the needs that I had, it's it's tough to say it's, it's a tough decision for, for some of us, you, you seem to be a lot better on it. I gotta, I gotta take some lessons for Stu on this one. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, you, you're exactly right in the way you're thinking of it. It's, um, the, the biggest cost or the biggest, I, I think she talks about money because it's a very obvious metric and, um, you know, everybody can identify with it. It's very clear. Um, but the reality actually is it's time. Time is by far the most important metric here because we have a limited amount of it, um, as you know, you and I probably know as well as anyone. Um, and we both consider ourselves, um, that word that you taught me many, many moons ago, a multi-potentialite. Oh, good callback. But the reality of the fact, the reality of the fact, hmm, I speak. No, the reality is that we have limited time and limited energy to do things. And the opportunity cost of continuing something that isn't returning is that you're not doing something else that might be returning. Um, you might be going on one date night when you should be going on two because you're doing too much stuff that is not returning for you. And that's the way that you have to view these things. And as you've said, you know, the, the blog or whatever, you're thinking, I'm not getting what I was from this. I, I'm not getting the pleasure. I'm not getting the enjoyment. I've got other better things that I can be doing with my time than, than keeping this blog going. So I'm going to, you know, very comfortably say I'm going to, I'm going to stop. And that I think is, is the key to it is, is having that real ability to say, Hmm, okay. I thought this was going to be fun. It was fun. I was getting a, B and C out of it. I'm now not um, either because something has changed or just because time has moved on and I'm going to stop. And with that extra time and energy, you're going to be doing something upon which you get a much better return. And I, that's exactly the right way to do it. I think I still look at, um, my personal blog. Um, I still look at, you know, which is around the book really. Um, I look at Nero's, I look at the consultancy business, um, you know, even, even podcasting, you know, I, I'm, uh, involved in, this one with you, I'm involved in another with uh, TJ, where he has, you know, slowed it down. We we went to a sort of monthly frequency from a weekly one, and then we've gone um, even more sort of sporadic from there because of where essentially is where TJ is in life at the moment, and that's cool. That's great, um, and I think it's important that you have the ability to have that conversation either with another person or with yourself to say, do you know what? Um, I don't want to kill the blog. I'm just going to let it rest. Or, mm, yeah, I think I'm done with that completely. I'm going to close it down and have that conversation and make the right decision um, because there's, you know, there, there's so much that you can be doing, but only so many hours in the day. One of the other things, and I would 
encourage everybody to look at is, you know, a, a lot of people, not everybody's a business owner. A lot of us are employees. Sure. Is the job the right fit for you at this time? Mm -hmm. You know, where Stu, Stu kind of just said that it's, it's all about the time. You know, if you're working 60 hours a week and stressed to heck and you're, you're not enjoying what you do anymore, is that the right one? You know, it's a trade-off between how much money can I earn versus what lifestyle do I want versus how much time it takes, how much stress it takes. There's a whole lot of things in there that one can really sit and think about. And I've, again, I've not established a quick criteria before taking on a job or anything like that. And I think it's something that I'm going to take away from this and think about and, and come up with that. Uh, one question I did have for Stu, though, is a lot of these decisions are based on imperfect information. Mm -hmm. You know, looking back, you always have the answers. Oh, I should have quit here. I should have quit there. Sure. Uh, do you have any, you know, as, as you said, your timing worked out to be very well, mm -hmm. but how do you feel about um, interpretations of imperfect information? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's very much a truism. Um, you will never have all of the information that you need. Um, and there is only one bad decision in life, and that is no decision. So when you look at uh, anything, if you said you're going to review Project A after six months or 12 months, you must review it after six months or 12 months, and you must make a decision. What is not acceptable is to say, well, I'll give it a few more months. No. Either you carry on because it's the right thing to do, or you stop because it's the wrong thing to do. You might get it wrong. You might make the wrong choice. But if you don't make a definitive choice, then you will, in effect, do nothing, and whatever it is you're doing will die on the vine. So um, I think you just have to accept that you've got the information that's available to you. You can make efforts to get as much information as you can, you can make efforts. And this is where I think friends and colleagues help to bounce ideas off people, talk things through, because maybe, you know, maybe your spouse has got a really good perspective on something that, that you hadn't seen, hadn't thought of. Um, and so you should, I think, you know, bounce these things around, talk them through with, with trusted advisor and friend, um, but then make a decision. Mm. And for me, at least, finally, after all of the logic and all of the pluses and minuses and pros and cons, it comes down to a gut call. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with inertia? Because there is, I, I, you know, we're trained with grit in mind. Mm -hmm. That has a certain inertia to it. How do you deal with that and imperfect information? Because quite often, as you, as you said, no decision is I'll just keep going. I'll push this off. But mm -hmm. is, is that a factor for you? I've been doing this for so long. I want to continue to do it. Or are you able to be a little more objective by forcing that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think it really is a question of, of, of forcing yourself, um, to, to do that. Now, um, I, I spoke earlier today about my sort of superpower discovery of discipline this week of you know, writing down a plan uh, and executing it and, and saying, okay, here is my plan. Here are my numbers. These are the things I'm going to try and hit. And I think that's a really good skill to have is that discipline just to say to yourself, right, okay, after six months, 
my expectation is that this will be a break-even or it'll be cash generative or what, you know, whatever the measure is that's going to be. Establish what that metric is and, and sit down and cold-eyed after six months, look at it and say, okay, where am I? Um, I've, you know, established these, these sort of, this dashboard for, for the marketing that I'm doing. I'm investing some money into marketing. Ooh, big whoop. It's not a huge amount of money, but I'm being disciplined about it. So every month I'm filling in those metrics. I'm not smart enough to automate it all. So <laughs> I'm just having to do it, uh, taking some numbers and putting them into an Excel sheet and looking at them next to the last month's numbers and looking at them next to the, the target numbers and looking at what it all turns into in, you know, pounds, shillings and pence. And it's, it's that discipline that makes me say, okay, so at this time, when I sit down and do the review, what is the score? And, Based upon that score, what should I do? Um, and it's, I think it's easier if you make that decision up front than if you try and make it sort of on the run. Um, you can still overrule, of course. You can still turn around and say, actually, it's not growing as quickly as I wanted it to, but I think it is growing. Well, I can demonstrate that it's growing uh, and I can get what I need out of this. But have those sort of very firm review points where you force yourself to, you know, to do what you would do if you were the CEO of a big company. You kind of need to be the CEO and you need to be the project manager. And you need to imagine yourself as the project manager sitting in front of the CEO saying, okay, the reason this is a success is, or the reason that this is not a success is. And then the CEO, which in this case happens to be the same person, <laughs> makes a decision about whether to go forward or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, Annie Duke gets into later in the book the sunk cost fallacy, which we all yeah yeah <laughs> get uh, heavily invested in. Which is we've done it for this long, therefore this is an implied value that we've had. And the reality is that from this point on, is this a new decision? Sure. Do I continue doing this? If I took this, if I took my blog and said, would I start it from scratch today? Mm -hmm. It's a different decision than I've been working on this for five, for seven years, um, you know, and, and that momentum's in there, which uh, certainly is part of this discussion. Pretty cool stuff. Thanks for your insight on that, Stu. Uh, any takeaways for you from, from this? Uh, well, I mean, pretty much you led me into it, you devil, you. Um, yep, yeah, beware of complacency and inertia. Um, those are the enemy of decision. The only wrong decision is no decision. Um, and find a foil. So uh, for, for me uh, in that business, it was James. Um, and uh, we used to fight like cat and dog. Our, our board meetings you know, involved cutlery being smashed and all sorts of cut plates, you know, glasses, everything. Um, someone to argue the options out with or you know, discuss maturely if you're one of those sort of mature people. Um, what about you? What's your takeaway? Mine really is to set up a review with criteria. Um, so at some point you need to look at everything as Stu said, you know, if he's got to spend, he's got to sit down and think about it before he goes and does that in your own life. Look at what you've got going, look at what you're been complacent about, set a time to review it and what success looks like. And have that in mind before the review rather than after than at the review time, because it's very easy to convince yourself that this is a good thing. 
And I think that's something that I'm going to put into place is some sort of uh, pass-fail review process for the future rather than just taking it one day at a time. I, I think this has been good. All right, Stu, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, I mean, you can find a very quiet blog at stuartlannon.com. Um, you can find a slightly noisier one uh, if you're interested in anti-money laundering. Uh, if you're not, then, then please don't feel obliged to go there, but at limeconsulting.com. And now you can find me on all the socials. So I'm on X, Justin, X, oh. which is uh, the new name for Twitter, um, at Lime Consult. You can find me on Facebook. <gasps> Uh, as Lime Consulting. You can find me on Instagram as Lime Consulting 2023, or you can find me on good old-fashioned LinkedIn uh, as Lime. So you'll find me in all of those places. And if you fancy a really nice piece of stationery, just nip on to uh, nerosnotes.co.uk. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Well, at the moment, I was looking at your new website because I haven't been back there since you launched it. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you can find, well, my quiet blog as well, uh, justintwyford.com. Um, and that's basically where I am. If you have any feedback for us, love to hear it. Uh, Stationeryadjacent at gmail.com. Please take a moment to like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues. Our next topic is going to be monkeys and pedestals. Until next time, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.